I would remind you that this word is eternal and awesome forever. I don't know the exact words, but it's not going anywhere. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. Romans 10, uh, 5 through 13. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Teddy. This word's not going anywhere. I like that. I like that. What a gift it is to have the word of God. And what a gift it is to, for me as a pastor to week after week have the privilege to proclaim the word of God to people who are eager to hear it. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your hunger for the word. It truly is a, a joy and a delight and a privilege. Today we continue our study through the book of Romans, and you could say that we're uh, in the middle of our study, the middle section, uh, in the middle of the middle section almost. So we're the section chapters 9 through 11. And in these chapters, Paul is addressing the question of Israel. What about Israel? Has God failed to keep his promise to Israel? We might remember a little bit of review here. In the Old Testament, God made his promise, his covenant with Abraham and his children, with the Israelites, the Jewish people. And when Paul wrote this letter, his heart was in anguish because so many of his fellow Israelites had rejected Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 9, Paul recognizes this, but he says, the word of God has not failed. Why? And he explains it for us. He says, because God's promise... His covenant people was never simply all of or simply only ethnic Israel. Remember, God's people always included and his covenant promise was always for a select group of people within all of Israel. And it also included always a select group of Gentiles or non-Israelites, non-Jews, people from every tribe and tongue and people and language. He explained that to us and he said these people, these chosen people were the Israel of God or spiritual Israel. So one of the ways that Paul helped us understand that God's word has not failed is that God indeed has been faithful to his promise, his promise to save Israel. He helped us understand that by explaining to us the doctrine of unconditional election. God's purpose of election, his free and sovereign choice determines and decides who are the vessels of mercy that he mentioned earlier in Romans 9. It's not determined by a person's ethnicity or by the good or bad things that they do. 
So that's part of the answer. We have seen that. But then Paul's still concerned. Why are so many Jews not included in the Israel of God? Why don't we see more Jews trusting in Jesus? And on the other hand, why do we see so many Gentiles coming to Christ? And he gives us another answer in our passage today. This time, it's not the doctrine of election. This time, the answer is righteousness based on faith, also known as justification by faith alone. So God has opened the eyes of the Gentiles to this good news, and many of them are receiving it with joy. But Israel was stumbling over it. They were stumbling over it because they were still looking to their own obedience, their own righteousness. They were looking to a righteousness based on law, obedience to the commandments. This is what they were trusting in to save them rather than faith in the Messiah in Jesus Christ. So in our passage today, we see a contrast again. This time the contrast is between righteousness based on law and righteousness based on faith. And the main idea here is that this righteousness based on faith, this has always been God's way or God's means of salvation. Much of Israel has missed it. They have rejected it. And Paul doesn't want you to make the same mistake. He doesn't want you this very day to make the same mistake. In fact, Paul wants you and he wants all Israel to see it and be saved. So I want to show you from the text today what Paul says about this righteousness based on faith. I'll highlight four aspects of it. First, righteousness based on faith is a death blow to pride and despair. It is a death blow to self-righteousness and self-doubt. You see this in verses 5 through 7. So look at verse 5 again. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So here Paul's referring to the Old Testament law, to Leviticus chapter 18, where the, commanded, where the Lord commanded the people of Israel to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments. And he said, if a person does them, he shall live by them. Israel heard these words and responded with zeal. They were zealous. They had this zealous desire to obey the law of God, to obey the Lord their God. Remember last week we said they loved the Lord. They loved the word and they wanted to obey it. But their zeal was not according to knowledge. They did not know what to do with their sin. They did not know that the ultimate purpose or aim of the law was to show them as they experienced their inability to obey God's law. It was to show them their need for a savior. They needed someone outside of them to come and deliver them, to rescue them. They didn't see that the point of the law was to drive them to Christ so that they would trust not in their own obedience, but in the promised Messiah to come. So that's why in verses 6 through 8, Paul then quotes from the Old Testament to help us understand the righteousness based on faith. Righteousness has always been based on faith. It's not a New Testament idea. It's been there all along. So verse 6, he says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart. That's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 9. In Deuteronomy 9, 
the Lord is instructing Israel to cross the Jordan River and take the promised land that God was going to give to them. And he, the Lord their God, told them that he would drive out the nations before them. But he said to them, this is from Deuteronomy 9. He says, do not say in your heart. There's that same phrase that Paul's referring to. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And also, that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So God makes it clear to them. The reason they're entering the promised land is not because of their righteousness. So if someone were to ask them, are you entering the promised land because of your righteousness, because of how obedient you have been to the law, because of the good works that you have done, they should have answered in two ways. Is it because of your righteousness? They should have said, no. It is because of the Lord's righteousness or the Lord's justice. He is judging the wickedness of these nations. He's driving out their sin. Or if someone asked them, is it because of your righteousness? They could have answered in this way. No, it's because of the Lord's covenant. It's because of the Lord's faithfulness. He's confirming the word that he spoke to our forefathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In other words, it's not because of us. It's because of the Lord that we are saved. Do not say in your heart. So Paul's grabbing their attention. He's saying, don't think, don't believe that you're saved by your own righteousness. By a righteousness that is based on the law because you're, you're not. And Paul is reminding them, God has made this clear from the very beginning. So do not say in your heart. So there's that brief quote from Deuteronomy 9, and then Paul moves on to quote from Deuteronomy 30. That's the rest of verses 6 through 8. He asks these two questions. Who will ascend into heaven? Or who will descend into the abyss? And these were two common Jewish phrases, phrases, phrases that indicated something that was impossible. When they thought something was impossible, they might say one of these phrases, ask one of these questions. And Paul's saying, don't think this is impossible. Don't think that God requires superhuman works, your own perfect obedience. Instead, he calls you to humble trust and faith in the perfect finished work of his divine human son. The one who accepts righteousness based on faith does not say, this is impossible. She knows that righteousness based on the law is impossible. And so instead she looks in faith to Christ and she sees he has done it. And so there's no need for us, in a sense, to travel to heaven and bring Christ down. For God has already sent Christ into the world. And there's also no need for us to think that we must bring Christ up from the realm of the dead, for God has already raised Christ from the dead. Paul refers to both the incarnation and the resurrection of Christ. And his point is this. 
There is nothing that Israel did or could do to make this happen. And so what is impossible for you was not impossible for God. God has done this. He is and always has been the author of our salvation. Jesus himself is the author, the perfecter, the finisher of your faith, beloved. And so Paul puts both the earthly life of Christ and the risen life of Christ in the place of our obedience to the commandments. And this is the key to justification. This is what it means to have righteousness based on faith. Beloved, there's nothing that you can do to earn this righteousness. You do not need to scale heaven, to work your way to heaven, and indeed, you can't. The good news is, Christ has already come down. And you don't need to pay for your own sins in penance or self-punishment or despair. The good news is, Christ has taken care of that too. He has paid the penalty for your sins. All your sin, your guilt, your shame, already atoned for. And so your sin, your doubt, that's not a surprise to Jesus. And your sins may be many, but we sing, we know his mercy is more. Where your sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. Righteousness based on faith sees not just what Paul teaches in Romans, but what Moses taught in the Old Testament. That we stray, we sin, we fail to keep God's law. And so we must renounce self-reliance, self-salvation. We believe that God is the one who changes hearts. God's the one who gives life. God is the one who enables us to love and follow him. And so this doesn't require what is impossible from us, perfect obedience to the law. It requires a humble response with our mouths and our hearts. It requires what we can give, our repentance, our submission, our trust, our faith, our very lives laid down as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving to the God of mercy. So beloved, don't think this is impossible. Do not say in your heart, why not? Because Jesus Christ is the incarnate God. Because Jesus Christ is risen. Yes, it is true. It's not only hard, it's impossible for you to keep the commandments, but it's not hard for Jesus. And he has done it. And God credits his obedience, the righteousness of Jesus, to you. So no, you cannot save yourself, but Jesus can save anyone, both Jew and Gentile. Now, much of Israel was missing this righteousness based on faith. They missed it due to their pride, their self-reliance, because Israel would continue to put her own righteousness in the place of Christ's righteousness. But when we see it, like the Gentiles did, when we, when we realize this righteousness based on faith that is freely given to us through Jesus Christ, we realize this is indeed a death blow to pride and self-righteousness. It's also a death blow to despair and self-doubt. And so we no longer look to ourselves. We don't look to ourselves for the goodness needed to be reconciled to God. And we also don't look to ourselves to all of our sin that would keep us away from God. Instead, now we look to Christ, 
His righteousness making us whole. His blood shed on the cross cleansing us from all sin. If you have been here before, this is not the first time you've heard me say this, right? Why, why do I preach this every week? Yes, because it's true. Yes, because it is the only hope of the world. Yes, because it's the best news the world has ever heard. And if it's in the text, then it's my duty to preach it. So that's one reason why you hear it over and over and over again. But also, because I would ask, who among you this week did not struggle with either pride and self-righteousness on the one hand, or despair and self-doubt on the other? Maybe you struggled with both. Maybe in the same day. Maybe in the same hour. And so that's another reason why this must be proclaimed every day. We need to remember Christ every day. Pride and self-righteousness and despair and self-doubt are both ways of believing that righteousness is based on law. And they must be put to death day after day after day, every day. Because, beloved, every day we wake up and it's as if we're dropped into this fast-moving current that is pulling us in the direction of pride on the one hand or despair on the other. We just wake up and we're in it. And we're headed down that current. And how do you resist that pull? How do you resist that pull towards pride or self-righteousness? You know, you're in it and you might think, okay, I'm, t- I'm just going to work hard today. I am going to obey today like I've never obeyed before. I'm strong. I can do it. And occasionally you might start to make strides. And often when you do, you think, look at me. I'm doing it. And that pride swells up and you think, Righteousness based on law. I'm better than others. I've made my own way to God. Now be clear, I am not discounting effort at obedience. We are to make every effort to be holy, to obey our God. But we do not rely on that for righteousness. It's a response to the righteousness of Christ that's been credited to us. It's a response of thanksgiving. But we're in that current, and that's one way we respond. And occasionally we might make strides. Or we might be in that other current towards despair and self-doubt. And we see that, and it can be crushing. And we think, there's no way I can measure up. I have failed again, over and over and over again. And our temptation is just to give up to give in to that despair, to let it take us down that current and sin more and more and more. And beloved, for the child of God, we need to realize our Savior has come and he has jumped into those waters and he has pulled us out once and for all, forever. He's taken us out of that current, out of the courtroom, out of the waters of judgment and we are safe in him. He is our stay. He is our support. He is our strength. He is our shepherd. And he will carry us safely home. So we rest. We rest in his righteousness. And we stay off that treadmill of performance. And we fight against that pull to despair. And we say, thank you, Jesus for your righteousness, for your blood shed on the cross. We trust in him. Beloved, righteousness based on faith is a death blow to pride and despair, and it's a death blow to self-righteousness and self-doubt. Second, this righteousness is based on faith 
and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in verses 8 through 10. Look at them again. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So when we say Jesus is Lord, by now you, you're learning. If, if this is your home church, you're coming over and over again. The name Lord, and in the Old Testament, the name Lord in all capital letters here, Jesus is Lord. That's the personal name of God. God's revelation to Moses. I am Yahweh. In verse 13, Paul quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And there it is again, Yahweh. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so again, we saw this last week. We've seen it multiple times in Romans. Paul is putting Jesus precisely where Yahweh, God Almighty in the Old Testament was. Paul is saying Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. And so to be a Christian, to have this righteousness based on faith is to confess Jesus is God. God, not a God, not one of many, but the one true God. To be a Christian is to confess Jesus is Lord, not a Lord, not one of many, the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of all things, the one who rules over everything, the Lord of all. The Lord of lords and the Lord of you. He is the one and only one that you bow to and obey. He reigns on the throne of your life. He has authority over every aspect of your life. And you gladly trust him with it all. Jesus is Lord. He is my master. He's the one I love and obey. And I long to because he is good. Because he is savior. Because he is God. To be a Christian is to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Not only to believe in a literal bodily resurrection, but also all that goes with it. To understand and believe why he died in the first place. That he died on the cross for your sins. That he was buried. That God raised him from the dead for your justification. And to know, when you say, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you're confessing that this is the only way your sins can be forgiven. It's the only way that you can be counted righteous in Christ. This is righteousness based on faith. And beloved, this is what the heart of every Christian believes, and it's what the mouth of every Christian confesses. And so third, righteousness based on faith is offered to everyone and is the only way of salvation. You see this in verses 11 through 13. You know, there are many, maybe you know people like this. Maybe somebody has said this to you. There are many who reject Christianity because they will say that it is too exclusive. They may ask you, how can you believe in only one way of salvation? Isn't that arrogant? What about all the other religions of the world? All those other people who sincerely believe and follow their religions. What about them? What about all these other people that I know that are good and kind and loving? They are good neighbors. What about them? Well, last week we saw that you can be religiously zealous, sincere, but you can be wrong. 
you know, sincerity or zeal, that is no proof of truth. So if someone makes that claim or you're wondering yourself about this claim, how can, how can I believe in something that is so exclusive? You know, you, on the one hand, you say, yes, it's true. It is exclusive. Jesus did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then Peter preached that in Acts chapter 4. He, he mentions our passage from last week. He says, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but it's become the cornerstone. It's the only rock on which you can stand. And he says, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. So yes, Christianity, salvation, righteousness by faith, it is exclusive. It is through Jesus alone. But on the other hand, we could also say that Christianity is the most inclusive religion. What do we mean by that? We mean this. God invites all. He invites everyone to come to him through Jesus. No matter what your culture or your religion or your race, you can come to Christ. Look at verses 11 through 13. And hear how many times the inclusive nature of this message of salvation is proclaimed. For the scripture says, everyone, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who come to him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You hear it over and over again. Everyone, all, all, everyone. Yes, beloved, the only way anyone will be saved is through Jesus. So let us be faithful. Let us be faithful to proclaim the truth, the beauty, the goodness of Jesus every day in every way to everyone, everywhere, knowing and believing that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? So we join with Mike and Brenda in praying for this young lady from the Czech Republic who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, because he was faithful just to offer her a tract, she has the gospel in her hands. And if the Spirit moves her to read that, she will hear the best news the world has ever heard. And in the quietness and privacy of her own home, the Holy Spirit can come upon her and give her life and bring her to eternal salvation. The gospel is the only way of salvation And it's open to everyone who comes to Christ. Now finally, righteousness based on faith is the best news the world has ever heard. And it brings you the riches of God. It brings you, beloved, the riches of God. Let's not miss how Paul describes this great salvation in verse 12. Remember, there's no wasted words in the Bible. And this phrase, you can almost just skip right over it because this familiar passage. You know, if you, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess your mouth, God, raise him from your dead, you'll be saved. We hear that over and over again. But look at verse 12. Paul says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Now we must know And make clear that God's riches are not mainly earthly treasures or blessings. If someone tells you they are, 
if that's the focus of their gospel, they are at the very least misguided and possibly a false teacher. We do not believe in a health and wealth gospel. God's riches are not mainly earthly treasures or blessings, although God is often bountiful in bestowing those on his children, for which we say thank you. Every need you have that has ever been met is provided by God. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from our Father above. So they are blessings from Lord for which we give thanks, but these are not the substance of the riches that he bestows on us who call upon him. In this passage, those riches are called salvation. Three different times. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with, one, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Or verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we see his riches in terms of you'll be saved, you'll be saved, you'll be saved. Salvation is to be saved, but to be saved from what? Saved from the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Saved from hell. Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from condemnation from guilt, from shame, saved from sinning. Ultimately, sin will no longer be a part of our lives, even in the Old Testament. It's not because of your righteousness. It's the wickedness of the nations I'm driving out. And God eventually will drive out all the wickedness of your own heart. We'll be saved from that. These are wonderful riches. They are wonderful mercies. But they're not positive blessings. They're the removal of things from our lives, things that are left behind. See, what, what these riches do is they, they remove all the barriers out of the way so that we can enjoy, enjoy the true riches of God himself, being known by God, being loved by God, and knowing and loving this God in return. So that now we have the eternal, the perfect, the wise, the good, the loving, the all-powerful, the all-present, the all-knowing, heavenly Father as our Father. He loves us. He is with us. He takes care of us. It is enjoying His favor, His smile, His pleasure. It is enjoying Him and enjoying fellowship with His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the riches that He bestows upon you when you call upon his name. Beloved, Paul did not want Israel. He does not want you to miss out on these riches. So this very day, the riches of God, all his riches of forgiveness, freedom from guilt, from condemnation, from shame, this righteousness that is based on faith, everlasting friendship and fellowship with God Almighty, enjoying his love, beholding his glory, being in his presence with all of his people in his kingdom forever. This is freely offered to all of you today. Whatever your background, wherever you come from, whatever you have done, whatever you have suffered, it is offered to you not on the basis of what you do, It does not require you to clean yourself up or to measure up to some standard, to get your act together, to atone for your mistakes or your sins, to turn over a new leaf. It is offered to you on the basis of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Friend, will you believe in your heart that Jesus 
is raised from the dead? Will you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? May you call upon Christ today and entrust him, yourself to him. And then may we all tell someone, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen.